first talk is entitled, In the Beginning, An Accurate Diagnosis of the Sin Problem. When I was in medical school, one of the first things they taught us was to diagnose. Because if the diagnosis is wrong, the treatment is usually wrong. And so one of the first things we need to do when we understand the problem of sin, we have to understand what it actually is. Diagnose it accurately. Because if we misdiagnose the problem, then we create theological solutions that actually don't work. And so in our imagination, I want us to, to go back in time. To go back in time before the creation of human beings. Back in time before the creation of, of planet Earth. And back in time to when there were only angels. And then let's keep pushing back in time to before there was any angels created. And before even the universe. And if we go back in time to the very beginning, there was God. And as we... It, Consider the possibility, in the beginning was God. What kind of being is God? And the Bible tells us that God is love. It, the Bible doesn't tell us that God is forgiveness, even though he's forgiving. Or that God is power, even though he's all-powerful. Or that God is knowledge, even though he's all-knowing. All of these various attributes are manifestations of his core identity, his character, which is love. And how does love function? When we think love, it's not simply emotional. It's not simply a feeling. Love is operational and it's functional. And the Bible tells us that love is not self-seeking. It doesn't seek for itself. It is other-centered. It's giving. It's beneficent. And if we understand that God is love, and therefore God is other-centered, He's giving, He's beneficent, what action at this eternity past, when there is only God, would God take? What would He begin to do if He is a God of love? Would He give of Himself to create? And God began to create. And it says, in the beginning, God created and how would this God of love, as he begins to create, give of himself, other-centeredness in operation, construct or build his universe to operate? In harmony with his own nature? Or would he build it out of harmony with himself? Well, wouldn't he build it in harmony with himself? And this is how we would expect God's creation to run, in harmony with the principles of love. And what, what might we call those principles, those parameters, those constructs? Laws. And what kind of laws would these be? Design laws. Principles upon which the universe is designed to operate. And I'm going to go through in several lectures here, several of them to show you how God built reality to operate. But understanding that God, when he created, he built life to operate on unchanging principles and parameters, then we understand that life and health and happiness and well-being is experienced only in harmony with how it was built to operate. If we deviate from that design, if we transgress the law, it in introduces discord, injury, suffering, and if not remedied, death. Understanding God is the creator of all reality, then we understand that in where we find ourselves today, God is still the source of all truth. God is still the source of all light. But we are in a position downstream from sin where we don't comprehend things as he would have us comprehend. So God has been communicating 
with humankind. He's been shining light on planet Earth. He's been trying to enlighten our minds, and he has given three threads or streams of evidences to help bring us back to a knowledge of him. And the first stream that we include in our understanding is Scripture. And the Scriptures teach us that all Scriptures God breathes and is useful for teaching, correcting, and training in righteousness. And so we always want to include Scripture to reveal to us a, a truth about God as we seek the knowledge of God. But if we're believers in Scripture, Scripture teaches us that God's divine nature has been clearly understood being seen from what has been made so that men are without excuse, Romans 1.20. So we include science in nature because God is the builder of science in nature. His laws are the laws upon which it operates, and it will always harmonize with Scripture. And how life actually works, how reality works, which we call life experiences. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Check me out. Or when Thomas had his crisis of faith, Jesus did not quote Thomas a Bible verse. He said, touch my wounds, check it out, experience me, and stop doubting and believe based on what you're experiencing. All three threads need to harmonize. Because if we separate the threads and use only one, it's dangerous. Science all by itself can lead to godlessness. Experience all by itself leads to mysticism and the mystical religions. And Scripture all by itself has led to confusion. When I wrote the God-shaped brain book, at that time, the Christian encyclopedia said there were 34,000 different Christian groups and sects out there arguing amongst themselves. Recently, I got an email saying that's been updated now. There's 44,000. Continuing to fragment and divide, but all claiming that the Bible supports our view. When we decouple Scripture from reality and science, nature, and how life works, the, the, the laws of God that he built into nature, then we can say it means anything. So we offer the integrative approach, which always includes Scripture, but that Scripture needs to harmonize with God's design laws and how life actually works. And so let's apply that with an example, the law of love demonstrated in Scripture, God's law. And it says in Galatians 5.14, the entire law summed up in a single command, love your neighbor as yourself. Or James 2.8, if you keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing what is right. Or Jesus said, Matthew 12.37, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and neighbor as yourself. All law hangs on these two. Scripture teaches us that God's law is the principle of love, which is beneficence. It's other-centered. It's operational. And it doesn't seek self. And so God, His eternal power and divine nature is seen in what He has made. And so Scripture tells us in Proverbs, if you pursue righteousness, if you pursue love, you find life, prosperity, and honor. Why? It's like saying a person in the desert who pursues water finds life. Why would you find life if you pursue? Because life is built on a law that requires us to stay hydrated. It's a physical law, but it's a design law. And when we pursue God's design law of love, that's where we find reconciliation and unity with God. This is how he built life to operate. Well, let's look in nature and in science and check this out and see if it works. 
this principle of giving. Is life really built on it? Well, the oceans give their waters to the clouds, which rain over the lands, forming lakes, rivers, and streams, which flow back to the oceans, a never-ending circle of giving upon which life is built. If a body of water separates from that and doesn't give, doesn't flow, what happens? It stagnates and everything in it dies. The law of love is the law of life upon which God constructed reality to operate. Every breath you take, you give away carbon dioxide to the plants, and the plants give oxygen back to you, a never-ending circle of giving upon which life is designed to operate. Now, while you can't actually change that law, you can transgress it. You can choose to take a plastic bag and tie it over your head and selfishly hoard your carbon dioxide to yourself. But the wages of that is, this is a powerful example of the reality of God's kingdom. We have the freedom to transgress the law. But if we do transgress the law, we take ourselves out of harmony with how life is actually constructed by God to operate. And the only result of that is ruin and death. And what does the evidence of experience show us about the law of love? Epidemiologic studies show that kids, uh, young, young people who volunteer, give of themselves, have greater academic achievement, life skills, and civic responsibilities than those who don't. And older adults, after accounting for variables like baseline health, smoking, education, those who volunteer have better health, they have less disability, less dementia, less depression, and stay out of nursing homes longer than those who don't volunteer. The law of the Lord is perfect reviving the soul. So if you have somebody who has decided to transgress the law of respiration, takes a hefty trash bag, duct tapes it around their neck, well, the first few minutes they may not notice anything. But soon their fingers and nose will begin to tingle. They'll get lightheaded. They'll get confused. They may hallucinate. They'll pass out. Eventually, if something isn't done, they're going to die. But if at any point on the trajectory to death, if we simply remove the plastic bag and put them in harmony with the law, what do they do? They revive. The law of the Lord is perfect. It is the design protocols for life. And as we are restored to harmony, new covenant experience, I'll put my law in your heart and mind. We recover, we revive, we're healed in the inner person. So if God built the universe to operate on the law of love, what happened? What went wrong? Well, where did sin begin? Sin began in heaven. With whom? Well, Ezekiel 28 tells us, it was Lucifer. You were anointed as the guardian cherub, for so I ordained you. You were on the holy mount of God, and you walked among the fiery stones. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till wickedness was found in you. But over what? What did Lucifer do in heaven to get a third of the angels to rebel against God's perfection? What did he say? What issue did he raise? Did, Did Lucifer go to the angels and tempt them to chip the streaks of gold up and sell them on some black market he created in heaven? Did he tempt them with alcohol or drugs? Did he suggest that he was actually more physically powerful than God and he challenged God to an arm wrestling contest in heaven? You think the things that we humans get tempted with, they were no temptation for the angels. They didn't have concerns about any of that. Nothing with that would have tripped them up. So what did Lucifer do? 
Well, John 8, when he speaks, Satan speaks, he, when he lies, he speaks his native language because he's the liar and the father of lies. He began to tell lies. Imagine you're in a loving, other-centered marriage relationship. You love and trust your spouse. Your spouse loves and trusts you. And somebody you also love and trust, maybe a brother or sister, comes to you with tears in their eyes, looking very sad, heartbroken, and they tell you a lie that they've discovered your spouse is having an affair. Now, while it's not true, while your spouse is still faithful and loyal, if, if you believe the lie, does something inside of you change? Notice, lies believed break the circle of love and trust. And once this first lie is believed, it's like falling dominoes. The whole next cascade of events happen. And so lies believed break the circle of love and trust, and broken love and trust result in fear and selfishness. Fear and selfishness is known in the world today as survival of the fittest. Watch out for me. The opposite of love. See, I I don't believe you're loyal to me. I believe you've been cheating on me. I'm afraid of you now. I'm afraid you're going to hurt me. You don't have my back anymore. You might bring me a disease. I've got to get to the bank and get the money before you do. Lies believe break the circle of love and trust. Broken love and trust result in fear and selfishness. Fear and selfishness result in acts of sin. Notice we are three steps down before we get to a deed. Many Christians get confused about this because they think sin is a behavior problem. But Jesus said in Matthew 5, you say if you commit adultery, bad deed, you commit sin. I say if you lust in your heart. You say if you commit murder, which is a bad deed, you commit sin. I say if you hate in your heart. Jesus makes it very clear that all the bad deeds are manifestations of corruption in the heart. And this is a terminal condition. As the Bible says, we're dead in trespass and sin. Without some intervention that we can't bring to bear, human beings are on a trajectory towards death. So imagine you're an angel in heaven, sinless and perfect, never had an achy bone or muscle in your whole life. And one of your close friends you've known for millennia, eons, thousands and ten thousands of years, named Lucifer, comes to you one day and he begins to suggest things to you. He just came from God's presence and he says things to you that you've never heard before, but suddenly you get this new feeling you've never had and it's uncomfortable. It's something somebody calls anxiety and worry and dread and, and you don't like this feeling because it's suggesting to you things about God that are scary. If you were that angel in heaven, what would you do? Might you want to pray for wisdom? And so you go to God and say, God, Lucifer just said some things about you and it's quite, quite distressing, quite upsetting. God, God, I love you. I love you, God. But I love Lucifer too. God might say, well, I'm really glad that you love us both because love is good. But I have to assure you what Lucifer's saying is not true. It's incorrect. Oh, I knew it. I knew it. I'm so relieved. I'm so relieved. And you go find Lucifer. Lucifer, I just had to talk with God, and he says you're misunderstanding some things. It's not exactly the way you're saying it. And Lucifer, with a tear in his eyes, puts his hands on your, sho- his, on your shoulder, looks you in the eye and says, I know, I know. That's the problem. God's lying. Imagine you're that angel in heaven. How did God respond to this crisis in his angelic host? What does he do If someone lies about you, can you clear the lie with a declaration? No. No. Evidence is required. 
And so God said, Jesus said, let there be light. Let the firmament come forth. Let the land come forth. God begins to give evidence of, first off, that he's creator God. And secondly, he begins to build a microcosm of the universe, a planet teeming with life, built to operate on the principles of love, where other-centeredness is built right into every, every fabric of every system of this planet. And he says on day six, let us make man in our image. Let them be fruitful and multiply in a sinless world. Let them have dominion and govern this planet like we govern the universe on the principles of love. And what was the purpose of this creation? The context of a war, allegations over God's trustworthiness. And rather than simply saying, I am innocent of the charges, God begins to reveal evidence to create beings with God-like powers to reveal God's character, methods, principles more fully. See, what would have been revealed had Adam and Eve fulfilled God's directions? Be fruitful and multiply in a world without sin. Would they have had children brought into the world in order for them to enslave, to abuse, to dominate, to control? Or would Adam and Eve have been giving of themselves constantly for the education, the uplifting, the welfare, the, the beneficence of their children? And the universe would have looked in and said, oh, I get it. God didn't create us to wait on him. He is giving of himself constantly to build us up. How does Satan respond to God's creation of this lesson book, this little theater, as it says in 1 Corinthians 4, that we're a lesson, a theater to angels and to men? How did he respond? Well, he lies. He lies. He tells more lies. He tells lies to Adam and Eve in the Eden. Did God really say, in the day you eat thereof, you will surely die? Oh, no. You're advanced. You'll become more powerful. You'll become more godlike. Then they believed the lies, and the circle of love and trust was broken, and their hearts became filled with fear and self-centeredness, and they ran and hid because they were afraid, and now they are dying of a terminal condition. So, diagnosis. When Adam and Eve sinned, did God get changed? No. Did God's law get changed? No. Did the condition of Adam and Eve, humankind, get changed? Yes. And the psalmist says it. I've been evil from the day I was born. From the time I was conceived, I've been sinful. We're born in sin, conceived in iniquity. Born with a condition we didn't choose, but without remedy results in eternal death. So accurate diagnosis, sin is transgression of God's design parameters for life, which is God's law. It damages the sinner, takes them out of harmony with the basis of life and results in death unless the creator fixes the damage. Humanity has this terminal condition and is in need of healing. So the key learning points, God is love. God's laws are design protocols for life. The Scripture, science and experience, rightly understood, always harmonize. Breaking God's law damages those who break them. Humankind was changed by Adam and has a terminal condition. God, through Christ, has provided the remedy. 
Now it's time for a roundtable discussion. And in your workbooks, at the end of each one of these, there are a list of roundtable discussion questions. Look at those questions and pick the ones that you believe would be most interesting for your group to discuss. We're going to do this for about um, 15 minutes, and then I will move on to our second talk.